Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. In this week's news, prophecy and politics, politics and prophecy. The Bible describes the end times wars in many places. I usually turn to Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah and Revelation. But there are other prophecies that are fitting this week which describe the future of the Ephraimite armies in the Middle East. The ancient prophets' utterances often dovetailed with or built upon each other. I will start with some prophecies this week, then describe the political situation, but there will be prophetic explanations throughout, so be sure to listen to the end. Prophecies have a near and far fulfillment, and elements of the prophecies return to Yahweh's people in cycles, so we can see how Yahweh plans to fulfill his word and to bring his kingdom back to the earth that was usurped by Hasatan in the Garden of Eden. The events of this past week, the assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani and popular mobilization unit's commander Abu Mahdi al-Mohandas, is a step forward to the final fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy about Ephraim in Damascus, which prepares the way for Daniel's fourth and final king of the North War. Isaiah 17.1 says, The burden of Damascus. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. We have been watching Damascus being a burden to the United States ever since President Obama instigated the Arab Spring. Syria remains the only country still at war because of it. The first fulfillment of Isaiah's 17.1 prophecy was in 730 B.C. when the Assyrians conquered the Confederate Syrians and Ephraimites. This was eight years before the Assyrians finally captured and exiled the Ephraimites from 722 B.C. to 720 B.C. Today, the Assyrian and Syrian region's populations still exist separately, but as allies. Iranians are mostly Persians, but there is a mixed population of other people groups as well, even Jews. The Assyrian presence in Iran goes back 4,000 years, and Iran is still home to a population of ancient Assyrians. Current estimates of the Assyrian population in Iran range from 32,000 to as many as 50,000. The Iranian capital, Tehran, is home to the majority of Iranian Assyrians. However, approximately 15,000 Assyrians reside in northern Iran, in Urmia, and various Assyrian villages in the surrounding area. The ethnic minority of Assyrians has a seat in Iran's parliament. Daniel is not the only prophet to prophesy about the king of the north. Isaiah also prophesies about him while not calling him by that name. 
Isaiah 19.23 says, In that day there will be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve the Assyrians. The Assyrians here refers to the area in which they still live, Iran, Tehran, thus this prophecy will be fulfilled in the end of days with Iran. This highway on which the Egyptians and Assyrians travel can only happen after Daniel's prophecy about the king of the north has been fulfilled. Daniel 11:43 But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. The fourth and final king of the north is a great tribulation army that Yahweh will use to bring destruction on his people one more time. The 4 plus 1 coalition, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Hezbollah, plus Russia, will control Egypt's economy after the invasion, which will lead to the interchange specified in Isaiah 19.23. In other words, Egypt will serve Iran in the end of days. All of these things happen because of the burden of Damascus coming first. There is, however, a political difference from ancient times to today. In Isaiah 17 verse 1, anciently, the Syrians and Ephraimites were allies against the house of Judah. The modern head of the Ephraimites, the United States, was in alliance with Syria until the Arab Spring and was also allied with the UN-created modern state of Israel. Now, all that is left of the Syria-US alliance is the Al-Tanf military base in the southern Syria desert. Both the Russian and Syrian governments consider the US presence in Al-Tanf illegal. You see, for Yahweh's purposes, the politics are not as relevant as the existence of the same people groups within the region. Those that occupy the region today are simply the descendants of ancient peoples. That these nations still exist, but not in the same form as in ancient times, is why the book of Revelation describes the eighth and final beast as being of the previous seven beasts. By the end times, elements of all those empires will exist in mixed form in the Middle East. Revelation 17.10 says, And there are seven kings, five are fallen. One is Egypt, two Assyria, three the second Babylon, four Persia, five Greece, and one is, that's Rome, and the other, Islam, 
is not yet come and when he comes he must continue a short space that short space there is oligos meaning for a season Revelation 17:11 says and the beast that was the one that existed for a season and is not the one that has not yet arisen even he is the eighth Islam because the seventh beast is Islam and this eighth beast is of the seven the former seven it's a composite and he goes into perdition the eighth beast is a composite beast with characteristics of the previous seven beasts we will say the eighth beast is Islamic but Islam is only one of its elements contained within this beast will not only be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome but also Islam and we will name this beast Islam without understanding that it contains the elements of all the former empires the near fulfillment in ancient times of the fall of Damascus did not completely destroy that city at that time as the prophecy says will be at some time in the future otherwise the same Damascus would not exist today Damascus will totally cease by the end of the battle of Armageddon when all of Israel's enemies will be destroyed Damascus will cease so the complete fulfillment of the prophecy about Damascus ceasing to be a city still has to occur it has to be finished Isaiah prophesied about the king of the north's invasion of Jordan even Isaiah 17 2 says the cities of Aror are forsaken they shall be for flocks which shall lie down and none shall make them afraid according to the IVP BBC commentary the Assyrian campaign through Transjordan that's what they used to call Jordan Transjordan would have naturally included the capture of the strategic fortress site of Aror on the Arnon uh, which is three miles southeast of Debon and two and a half miles east of the King's Highway that highway that will stretch from Egypt to Assyria or to Iran it guarded the passage through the valley of the Arnon and controlled the border between Moab and Ammon there was an earlier invasion of the territories of Moab and Ammon by the Assyrians at the time of the captivity of Syria and the house of Israel the far fulfillment that will complete Isaiah's prophecy will come when the composite Persian Assyrian Syrian army that is known today as the 4 plus 1 coalition and in the book of Daniel as the king of the north invades Jordan again according to Daniel 1141 
Isaiah 17.3 says, The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. They shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. The fortress, Mibsar in Hebrew, in the end of days is the Altanf U.S. military base, which is the last bastion of Ephraim's, America's, control. Ephraim is being run out of Damascus. Ephraim's fortress is in the process of ceasing along with Damascus. The nation of Syria will cease to exist. Damascus will no longer and never again will be a capital city. Syria's new capital will be Jerusalem when Tehran sets up its tent from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean Sea, Daniel 11.45. I want to go down a short rabbi trail here to explain why the king of the north's tent is from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean Sea in Daniel 11.45. It does not include the West Bank. Why? Because the king of the north will invade Israel when the U.S. and Israel are at war with the Palestinians. The king of the north will win that war, then divide the land of Yahweh between the Palestinians and itself. You see, everybody gets involved in dividing Yahweh's land. Thus, everybody will suffer because of it. You don't steal Yahweh's land. Isaiah 17.4 says, And in that day, that's tribulation, in that day is tribulation phrase, it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin, and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. Who is Jacob? Both houses, Judah and Israel. America's economy will fail after the Gog Magog War, and Mystery Babylon will be putting all of its resources into the building of the Jewish Temple and war. Their coffers will dwindle to little or nothing. I suspect their national debts will rise as they borrow money from other nations to continue putting on the face of wealth. The reason... I have given this brief overview of the prophecies regarding Damascus and Ephraim is to help you understand current events in light of the prophecies. President Donald Trump, the current head of the westernized Ephraimite House of Israel nations, achieved a major step toward the fulfillment of prophecy when he ordered the assassination of General Qasem Soleimani, the second highest official in Tehran. His death is now considered a martyrdom for Shia Islam and the coming Shiite Caliphate. Now, let's get to the political elements. The U.S. airstrike that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani also killed another key figure in Iran's role in the Middle East, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis.
who had traveled to Baghdad International Airport to meet Soleimani. Deputy head of the Popular Mobilization Units, a mostly Shiite group of pro-Iranian paramilitaries in Iraq, Muhandis was an important key to Iran's penetration of Iraq, a figure similar to what Hassan Nasrallah is to Lebanon. His death has gone less noticed because it was overshadowed by Soleimani's, but it is no less important Mohandas was important because for years he helped build up not only his own armed militia, Kataib Hezbollah, but also transformed the PMU into an official force that can project power throughout Iraq and Syria. His troops number over a hundred thousand, according to this report. What Trump did was give the pious and now united Shiites of Iran and Iraq a martyr, and folk artists are already depicting Soleimani at Karbala. This would be like painting a slain American general into a crucifixion scene. The PMU's headquarters is in Iraq, whose government is Shiite-ruled. Both Iran and Iraq lost a major official, which is why the Iraqis feel the loss. Hell has no fury like a Shiite scorned or assassinated. The Middle East's Muslims are in a major uproar. Sunnis in the south are expressing concern about a Shiite invasion and some are using their mosque pulpits for anti-Shiite stump speeches and to calm fears. Saudis, Jordanians and Egyptians have known for a long time this showdown between the Shias and Sunnis is coming. Iraq's Shiite-controlled parliament made threats to its members. Sarkat Shams, a Kurdish member of the Iraqi parliament, received a text on his phone with an unmistakable and personal threat. Vote to oust the Americans or else. They were saying, either you're going to side with the people or you will be considered traitors and your houses will be burned, Shams said. Soleimani's killing has unquestionably united Iraq's southern political elite and reignited the nationalist language that frames those who are anti-Iran as pro-American. Shams said that ahead of the parliamentary session, pro-Iranian members of the parliament warned him that a vote against the U.S. withdrawal would be considered close to treason. Our WhatsApp groups were saying we will publish all the names. Whoever didn't attend the session will be considered a traitor or someone working for foreign powers, Shams said. Shams ultimately stayed away, along with at least 150 other legislators who boycotted the vote. But inside the parliament, the atmosphere resembled a political rally, with lawmakers chanting, Yes, yes, Soleimani, no, no, America. The irony is that until U.S. President Donald Trump violated Iraqi sovereignty by killing Soleimani and Mohandas, 
Iran faced a serious threat to its influence inside Iraq in the form of thousands of Iraqis protesting against the corrupt politicians propped up by Tehran, often through Soleimani's machinations. The Iraqi protests had posed the greatest challenge to Iran's influence over Iraq in years. Mass outrage was mounting against leading politicians whom demonstrators accused of serving Iran before they served Iraq. Prophetically, Iraq must be totally united with Iran. Thus, this was Yahweh's orchestration. He used Donald Trump to fulfill his will as he does with all kings that he puts on thrones. And so, Soleimani may now be closer to achieving in death what he was unable to produce in life. A counter-movement to the demonstrations, one that pivots Iraq back toward Iran and solidifies its political establishment. Soleimani's assassination has provided a much-needed shot of legitimacy to Iraq's unpopular and Shiite-dominated leadership who have not only close links to Iran, but also a vested interest in suppressing the domestic popular movement against them. So strongly is Soleimani's martyrdom felt that it is being said he is a martyr of Jerusalem. Ismail Haneah, the leader of the Palestinian group Hamas, said, I declare that the martyred commander Soleimani is a martyr of Jerusalem. What that means, my friends, is that the Shiites relate themselves to Jerusalem, which they want to be the Shiite caliphate capital. Now let's take a look at where the nations stand on all of this. No one stood with the United States on this one, not even Israel. The first statement coming from Israel Major General Herzi Halevi was, We are observing from the side. I assume the coming few weeks will be very interesting, he said. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sought to distance himself from the situation, saying, The killing of Soleimani is a U.S. event, not an Israeli event, and we should stay out of it. The European nations are backing away from President Trump and the Middle East nations are bracing for religious war. The U.S. and Israel are caught in this war and will become casualties of it. This is all part of Yahweh's plan and as I said, President Trump played his role. Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates and Jordan are preparing for drone missile strikes based on intelligence reports they've obtained. Two U.S. military bases in Iraq have already been hit, as you already know. On Monday, foreign ministers from Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Djibouti, Sudan, Somalia, Egypt, and Yemen met in the Saudi capital Riyadh to form a new Sunni-based grouping of nations 
for mutual support, cooperation, and economic integration in the region to protect themselves from the 4 plus 1 coalition's Shiites. They discussed opportunities to work together and strategies for securing the two waterways from piracy, smuggling, and regional threats. Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, said the ballistic missile attacks targeting U.S. military and coalition forces in Iraq were only a slap in the face to the United States. What is important is ending the corrupting presence of America in the region, Khamenei said. Iran has managed to shut up America's allies, keeping them quiet right now, because Iran warned countries that sided with the U.S. in the assassination of Soleimani could face far-reaching consequences. What kind of consequences? EU-Iran trade, Shiite uprisings in European countries, killing of European and American citizens visiting the Middle East. Travel warnings have been issued by the U.S. and some European nations, and some flights have been canceled. The Federal Aviation Administration banned all U.S. non-military flights operating in airspace rather, over Iraq, Iran, and the waters of the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. These were issued as a result of the Ukrainian Boeing 737 commercial airliner that crashed without survivors near Tehran the same day that Tehran smashed missiles into the U.S. military bases in Iraq. Ukraine's embassy in Tehran initially issued a statement confirming the Iranian version that there had been an engine fire but later deleted it. Over the course of the day, Ukrainian officials began saying it was too early to rule anything out. Ukraine's Prime Minister Oleksiy Hancharuk cautioned against speculation and asked people to wait for the results of the official investigation. You know, but people are people. And people usually seek the most devastating answer. So the news outlets are speculating about an accidental missile strike or even a bomb on board the plane. Now, back to the initial reactions of U.S. allies in the wake of Soleimani's assassination. Here is a link to the initial responses from some nations by Al Jazeera after they got over the shock of the attack. Their comments range from deeply concerned to a call for maximum restraint. Israel said the U.S. has the right to defend itself. Iraq's Prime Minister Mahdi immediately got on Iran's side, saying the U.S. attack on Iran's general was an attack on the state of Iraq. He didn't merely denounce it as an attack in Iraq. No, the U.S. perpetrated an attack on Iraq. So, Iraq is now fully united with Iran. The Iraqi parliament approved a draft bill on Sunday requiring the government to ask Washington to withdraw American troops from the country. The move is largely symbolic as it sets no timetable for withdrawal and is subject to Iraqi Prime Minister Adel Abdul Mahdi's approval, but it reflects mounting volatility facing U.S. forces in the region and the uncertainty of U.S. strategic interests there.
Iran's Supreme National Security Council Secretary Ali Shamkhani told state television the Iraqi parliament's vote means the U.S. military presence in Iraq is now considered an occupation. Trump said the U.S. will leave when Iraq pays for the U.S. base that helped them in their wars. In my opinion, he should also ask them to hand over the billions of dollars they have made with Iraqi oil that President Bush said he would get from the Iraqis in exchange for overthrowing Saddam Hussein and again in 2003 to hunt for those weapons of mass destruction that were never found. Trump also threatened to impose deep sanctions on Iraq if it moves to expel U.S. troops. The U.S., in response, has deployed over 5,700 more troops to the Middle East. Britain's Telegraph newspaper said on Tuesday the U.S. had deployed six B-52 strategic bombers to the British Overseas Territory of Diego Garcia, a tiny island in the central Indian Ocean, some 3,900 kilometers from southern Iran, within flying range for the strategic American bombers, but beyond the reach of most Iranian missiles, the paper reported. Well, I received an unconfirmed report from a person living in Israel that the U.S. has already sent B-52 bombers there. Oddly enough, an online search for this brought up this article, What Trump Could Do to Scare Iran, Give Israel's Air Force B-52 Bombers. The article does not say the U.S. has sent B-52s to Israel, but speaks of a proposal to do so from 2014. So what will Iran do now, aside from its initial reaction hitting those two bases in Iraq? What are Iran's options, and what is Iran most likely to do? Well, to hear Nikki Haley tell it, the U.S. has Iran shaking in its boots. Not so much. Angry? Even furious? Yes. Frightened? No. This kind of Trump bluster will only further enrage and embolden the modern-day Persians. Historically, they are not known for backing down from a fight. As the end times equivalent of Persian King Cyrus, people would do well to remember that he was a warmonger, never having any peace in his kingdom from the time he took the throne. Yep, Trump is proving to be just like Cyrus, but there is one difference. As the Cyrus-like character, Trump is no match for the ancient Medo-Persians, today's Russians and Iranians. Together, they will bring America to its knees before killing her off completely, but only when they are ready. The Iraq missile strike on the two U.S. bases is only the beginning.
Iran will now continue to vent its fury until it is ready for its major strike on the U.S. and Israel. Iran has proxy militias throughout the Middle East and North Africa. Expect Iran to coordinate these militias to attack in an attempt to weaken the U.S. military and avenge Soleimani's assassination. These are the same militias that appeared to have triggered Soleimani's death by attacking, then storming the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad two weeks ago. Now they're still under his command in his death. According to Ariani Tabatabai, a scholar at the RAND Corporation who has studied Iran's military doctrine, the Iranians don't lash out. I suspect whatever will happen, and there's no doubt in my mind that there will be a response, won't be some knee-jerk action to appease a domestic audience, but will instead reflect a more strategic, more careful, planned approach, she said. That's going to keep us on our toes for the foreseeable future. The American conservative put it this way. Iran will most likely play the long game, putting into action the old maxim that revenge is a dish best served cold. Iran has vowed revenge on the U.S., though, and later than sooner, revenge is what Iran will get. Soleimani's daughter, Zainab Soleimani, who is a U.S. citizen, reportedly made a comment during a televised address she delivered at funeral services for her father in Tehran saying the families of the American soldiers will spend their days waiting for the death of their children clearly she wants to see Americans die a slow death by paper cuts if I may mix the metaphors a little it is likely that Iran will refrain from a major confrontation with the U.S., opting instead for missile lobbying and militia mustering to deliver the equivalent of lots of bee stings rather than one or two big bee stings until such time as Iran has the military infrastructure and alliances in place to finish off the U.S. and Israel simultaneously. Indeed, this is the very definition of the King of the North attack, which will destroy Israel and the U.S. and the southern Middle East Sunni nations that are in alliance with Israel and the U.S., until Iran is in position to exact the desired revenge, total destruction of the Zionists, we will see many attacks on the U.S. by Iran, but these will be just to keep the U.S. busy while Iran prepares for the big one. This situation will put U.S. troops on constant war footing. Every aircraft flying in and out of those U.S. military bases in Iraq are now a target of surface-to-air missiles launched from inside Iraq. All troops transported in ground vehicles will be targets by shooters and bombs. This is how the Iranian enemy could wear out the U.S. Army. It would be like Vietnam, expensive and with a heavy loss of life, but far worse. 
Weakening the U.S. on its bases in Iraq and Syria will be strategically necessary before Iran's 4 plus 1 coalition can make a clear shot into Israel and Jordan without intervention by the United States. This is what I thought from the start, and I am not alone. Ali Akbar Velayati a senior aide to Ayatollah Ali Khamenei warned that American forces are risking a drawn-out, bloody, and unsuccessful stay in the Middle East. Americans took a foolish move by assassinating Soleimani, he said, and they must leave the region. If they do not leave the region, they will face another Vietnam. Another Vietnam could result in severe weakening of U.S. forces, especially if Iran's global allies are willing to coordinate global military offensives against U.S. military bases worldwide. Sunday's al-Shabaab attack on the U.S. base in Kenya was not related to Soleimani's assassination since al-Shabaab are Sunnis. No, this attack was no way related to that incident in the Middle East, an Al-Shabaab spokesman told the AP on condition of anonymity for security reasons. One analyst, Rashid Abdi, in Twitter posts discussing the attack agreed, but added that Kenyan security services have long been worried that Iran was trying to cultivate ties with Al-Shabaab. Avowedly, Wahhabist al-Shabaab is not a natural ally of Shia Iran, hostile even. But if the Kenyan claims are true, the al-Shabaab attack may have been well-timed to signal to Iran it is open for tactical alliances, he wrote. Such alliances could be viewed as a way for some nations to oust U.S. troops from their soil, even if their religions are different. These alliances could weaken the U.S. military because of how spread out the U.S. military is across the planet. This Politico article from the summer of 2015 revealed that the U.S. has some 800 military bases across the world. Coordinated attacks with Iran, even by those who are not natural allies of Iran, could prove useful in the coming destruction of the United States. And now, what was Russia's response? Russia is being reserved, not saying much except to criticize the Trump administration for killing Soleimani, but so far it has been remarkably silent in saying what Russia will do about it. Hezbollah's Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of the Iran-backed Hezbollah terrorist organization, said on Sunday that the United States killing of Soleimani marked the start of a new war on the U.S. in the Middle East and claimed that Israel had requested that the U.S. kill Soleimani. Nasrallah promised that if Shiite militias attack U.S. military assets in the Middle East, the Americans will eventually leave the region in humiliation and will take Israel with them. We won't allow our region, its holy places, and its natural resources to be handed over to the Zionists, the Hezbollah chief said.
Some other activities took place in Iran in the aftermath of the assassination. Iran said on Sunday it will forgo now the limit on the number of centrifuges in operation, meaning it is now in full nuclear progress again. The other thing that made some people gasp was Iran flying a red flag over the Holy Dome Jamkaran Mosque warning the United States that it tends to engage in a severe battle in the hopes of intimidating President Donald Trump. But the Islamic red flag is not just a call to war. It is a call to religious war, and not just jihad, holy war, but an all-out caliphate war, and the final one being able to deliver the Shiite Mahdi. President Trump set the stage for the final battles before the coming of Yeshua the Messiah. At some point, when the United States and Israel are fighting the Gog-Magog war in the West Bank, will come an attack from the King of the North. Earlier, I quoted that Iran will take revenge as a dish best served cold. Well, attacking the two houses of Israel as they engage in their own internal and final battle of their 2,900-year-old civil war is really cold. The Jamkaran Mosque was chosen by the Iranians for flying the flag because that mosque is dedicated to the final Imam, a.k.a. the Mahdi. Shiite Muslims believe the Mahdi, the messianic figure that will appear alongside Isaiah, the Muslim Jesus, will kill all the infidels in order to prepare the world for the ultimate arrival of the Messiah. Red flags in Shiite tradition symbolize blood spilled unjustly and serve as a call to avenge a person who was slain. Well, the Jews believe their Messiah will kill non-Jews who reject Judaism or Noahidism, and they believe he will die in a battle and be succeeded on his throne by his son. It seems everyone is into killing non-believers of all kinds. Dr. Mordecai Keeter, a senior lecturer in the Department of Arabic at Barilan University, emphasized that the symbol could not be overestimated. The red flag means they are going to sink their enemies in a sea of blood, said Dr. Keeter, explaining how this relates to Hussein. Well, who's Hussein? Hussein ibn Ali was the son of the fourth caliph and the grandson of Muhammad. Ali was regarded as the rightful immediate successor to Muhammad as an imam by Shia Muslims. Hussein was massacred with his family and followers in the Battle of Karbala in 680 CE. Hussein's death is commemorated every year on the Muslim holiday of Ashura, which for Shia Muslims is a day of mourning. But Sunni Muslims recognize it as a festive day commemorating a victory. Shiites recognize this day with acts of self-flagellation using a chain with blades or swords. This is a call for vengeance, focusing on the Sunni and Umayyads who killed Hussein and decapitated him, humiliating the Shia 
and a message to all the enemies of the Shiites. This red flag is a call for the deaths of anyone who opposes Shiite Islam, equating anyone today with the killers of Hussein in 680 CE. This is a global call to all of Shia for what they see as an eternal and never-ending conflict. Here is where there must be more prophetic understanding along with the political and historical. Three times the Shiites tried to attain the governance of all Islam through the caliphate and three times the caliphate was immediately taken from them by Sunnis. Daniel describes four beasts. The last one is a composite and fearsome beast that relates to the composite beast of Revelation 17 that I spoke about earlier. One notable feature of Daniel's beast is its horns. Daniel 7, 7 After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten Horns. Before I read verse 8, those iron teeth relate to the teeth of the bear symbolizing Daniel's second beast, the Medo-Persians. But now that bear's teeth are much stronger. They are made of iron, suggesting a relationship to the Mahdi Messiah who rules with iron like Yeshua who comes ruling with a rod of iron. Verse 8 I considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold in his horns were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things this horn man is the Mahdi or one with much power those three plucked up horns were Shiite caliphates that never grew to govern there have been ten major caliphates in Islamic history the same number as those ten horns another one is coming an eleventh three of the same kind Shiites were plucked up before which is why this one goes forth with such rage look all wars lead to Jerusalem President Trump is Yahweh's anointed to bring America and Israel to the brink of destruction so their punishment can be finished Daniel 9:24 says 70 weeks are decreed as to your people and as to your holy city to finish the transgression that's Pesha rebellion also sometimes translated as national revolt and to make an end of sins kata'a offenses sometimes translated as habitual sins or crimes and to make atonement for iniquity avon perversity 
and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. Kafar atonement in this verse is also used as reconciliation. The reason the house of Jacob split was because of rebellions, continual and habitual crimes against Yahweh's kingdom, perversions that led to hatred, and there must be reconciliation, atonement for the tribe's treatment of each other, so the righteousness, the reunification can come. These must happen because of and before the anointing of the Most Holy, the Messiah, as King. Leading up to this, though, Jerusalem will rise to power as Mystery Babylon at the same time as the King of the North, Iran, is rising to power among the Shiites. You see the connection? Mystery Babylon's wickedness must become so great and so evil that her demise will be seen by all Israelites and all nations as Yahweh's divine wrath followed by his mercy when he pours out his spirit on the reunited house of Jacob. You can read that in Zechariah chapter 12 and Ezekiel 39:29. The events of this past week, perpetrated by Donald Trump, who is Yahweh's anointed for this purpose, secured the rise of Mystery Babylon. There is no longer any chance that the U.S. can leave the Middle East. The head of the Ephraimite westernized nations must be cut off when Mystery Babylon is destroyed. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7 verses 8 and 9. For the head of of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within 65 years Ephraim shall be broken so that it shall not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Again, there was a partial near fulfillment of this, but there is coming and end times full fulfillment. The house of Israel must be cut off from its Sumerian roots. And that starts with the fall of Ephraim in Damascus, followed by the Gog-Magog war on Ephraim's ancient territory in which Gog, the United States, will fight his own brothers and not even know it. Ezekiel 38.21 says, And I will call for a sword against him, that's Gog, on all my mountains, says the Lord Yahweh. Each man's sword shall be against his brother. Then will come the king of the north attack, which will be to kill two birds with one stone, just as this past week's assassination killed two birds, Soleimani and Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis. See, Yahweh uses irony a lot. The two birds the king of the north will kill 
are the United States as ruling power and Jerusalem ruling over Israel and many people of the world as religious mystery Babylon. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after these messages. Thank you for listening to the Jerusalem Report on Beast Watch News. Full news coverage with a Hebraic perspective of the headlines fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember to financially and prayerfully support Beast Watch News for keeping you up to date. Send your donation to Beast Watch News today. It takes money to operate this ministry, and your help is much appreciated. Now, before I go, I want to bring you up to date on another way that the religious war between the two houses is upticking. This is about anti-Semitism once again. While war is upticking in the Middle East, America's internal war is still upticking. One component of America's destruction comes from within. Many have been working to crumble the U.S. from within, starting with Russia during World War II. You know, that's Balaam's tactic of getting Yahweh's people to bring curses on themselves. I won't recount here the hideousness of Ephraim's sins. However, the Jews, the house of Judah, are now exerting major pressure on America's fall. This week, capitalism became the Semites' enemy. Jewish author Aaron Friedman writes in this article on jacobinemagazine.com To defeat anti-Semitism, we must defeat capitalism. Anti-Semitism endures because capitalist oppression needs a scapegoat. Only by democratizing the economy can the ancient hate finally be extinguished. He writes, The violent decades of capitalist expansion saw some of history's most infamous pogroms, from the Dreyfus Affair in France to the Kishinev pogrom in Russia. Racial pseudoscience offered a new way to ostracize the Jew, and the era's oppressive industrialists stoked mass fury against Jews to guard against social revolution. Right-wing elites in Russia eagerly promoted the protocols of the elders of Zion to ensure that, as the writer Aurora Levins Morales writes, peasants who go on pogrom against their Jewish neighbors won't make it to the nobleman's palace to burn him out and seize the fields. Socialists of the day understood the danger of working-class anti-Semitism. It was the German Social Democrats who circulated the saying that anti-Semitism is the socialism of fools. Yet, 
Jew hatred would prove a durable weapon for the capitalist class deployed as predictably as the state police during times of trouble. Yep, there goes the American way of life, and now the Talmud's answer to the world's growing anti-Semitism. Here is the title to this breaking Israel News article, Massive Jewish Celebration Around the World is the Ultimate Response to Growing Anti-Semitism. The article says, Every seven and a half years, Jews around the world get together to celebrate finishing learning the daily cycle of the Babylonian Talmud. The largest gathering takes place in MetLife Stadium in New York, where 90,000 plus Jews gathered there to celebrate Torah learning. You see, the Jews equate the Talmud with the Torah. The elect must not do this. The Talmud is Jewish mysticism from Babylon, which leads away from Yahweh, not to him, and it upholds Phariseeism, rabbinics, which comes straight out of Greece under the ancient Hasmoneans that Israel is now reviving. The article continues, This is the ultimate Jewish answer to growing anti-Semitism, celebrating the pinnacle of our existence, the Torah. Our message to our enemies is simple. No anti-Semitism will ever intimidate us. We are the eternal people connected to the Torah, and no hatred or violence against us will ever break us. And... They are right. It will take Yahweh's own hand to destroy them. Religious mystery Babylon. People will never be able to do it. This is the reason Yahweh is raising Iran's 4 plus 1 coalition, also known as the King of the North. Revelation 18 verses 1 to 6. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was lighted up from his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and it has become the dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a cage of every unclean bird which has been hated, because of the wine of the anger of her fornication which all the nations have drunk and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth became rich from the power of her luxury and I heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people that you may not be partakers of her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues for her sins joined together even up to heaven and God has remembered her unjust deeds reward her as she has rewarded you and double to her double according to her works in the cup which she mixed mix double to her everyone under Yahweh's hand is now working toward this goal this destruction 
to usher in our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Yeshua, our Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and on whom will rest the governance of His righteous kingdom. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.